Today we're having a conversation with Daniel Coyne. Daniel's a man I met uh, 20 years ago, and uh, I have been a witness of his journey. I think the conversation is exquisitely beautiful around what do people need when they struggle with the addiction, with the shame. I hope you enjoy it. for being here. Really, I'm trying to demonstrate uh, compassionate conversations with people. And uh, I want to just open this up. I would love to hear you and what the struggle has been like for you. You know, is it the struggle with addiction, finding work, being who you are, whatever way you want to lean into it? Okay, sure. Well, uh, you know what I, you can sort of guide me as we go here. But um, as you know, I have been struggling with my addiction in the past, and I've had the good fortune of um, having the intervention of the judicial system. And that is in the form of the Cumberland County Drug Court, which has been a blessing for me, because it uh, really has done for me what I, what I could not do alone at least initially, and that is remove myself from, you know, the substance that I was using. And so uh, what happens for me in my addiction is I become, I want to isolate. I do isolate. And, you know, it's it becomes the most important thing or certainly up there in terms of, you know, my thinking. You, you have... Uh finally found a way to kind of be sober and clean and mostly because of accountability outside of yourself. Correct. And that's really been helpful to you because within yourself, you had been unable to find it. Right. Right. And that accountability initially, again, is, is in the form, came in the form of, of, uh, of the drug court treatment program. And it truly is treatment. It's not, um, as I originally, I had always perceived it to be, a um, a program of of you know if you mess up, you're going to jail and that's our punishment. But what I've um, learned is that it's a tr- it's a program of of treatment, and if it if there is um, a relapse, uh, what I have seen is that ends that looks like additional treatment options and not um, punishment punishment right, right. which is just a, a completely different paradigm for what I've at least my paradigm for what the courts are about so you've gotten to this moment in time where you're finally feeling like uncomfortable in your skin difficult because of the accountability and finally stringing days together in your addiction. Right. Can you tell me about this pathway to get to this moment? In terms of... What's this been like, this whole addictive process? Uh, it's been a... Um, really, it's been a lot of things. Um, but one of the big things, I think, is is a um, 
is a look into sort of my addictive thinking and mm. how my brain works. And I don't think it's very different than other people who have, you know, substance use, substance use disorder. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that it's really pretty universal, at least uh, within the people that I've, I've talked to who, um, you know, who are, who are in, in treatment, or at least, at least initially in treatment, that thinking changes over time. So you know that the this disease that they call it, you know, this discomfort is really in the way you think about things. And it's been going on for a long time in your life. Yes, it has for years and, and years. And what I know about your life is that, you, you know, you have had moments of incredible uh, community adventures, uh, helping the community, being a... Uh, a part of the development of Portland, and then all of a sudden sort of sitting in front of a judge and getting some accountability. It's been a long road. It's been a very long road. And again, from, you know, from, you know, having, being a, you know, respected member of society and, and contributing member of society and to, you know, then finding myself not, and not only that, but... You know, I think it's almost bigger than that for me is the shame that goes along with that, you know, and that what that shame looks like is it is all encompassing. Mm. It it is, um, you know, it is uh, probably greater than the addictive thinking, if that makes any sense. Well, because it's a whole body sensation and, and it just in creates the thinking. Right. Exactly. And, and you can feel it everywhere, particularly when you've been, as you call a respected member of the community, and now you kind of just trying to make sure you can get through a day. Right. It's been a, it's been a long fall or a large high. I, I don't know how you would want to say it, but it's just been a long journey. Uh, the way I say it is it's just very different, you know, from what I was, from a life that I had, mm. you know, and, um, and, it, and, you know, it's a, you're right, it is all-encompassing. It's more than thinking. Um, but it dictates, like, sort of everything you do at that moment in time. Mm. And to give you an example of that, this is going back a couple of years, but I was uh, in my hometown, which is Yarmouth, and I was, uh, I think I was visiting my children, and I was <clears throat> going into a store, Andy's Handy Store, and um, it's a glass door, and I went to open the door. My hand was literally on the door, and I saw a buddy of mine whom I've known for, since high school. He's a good friend, ne- always We've always had a great relationship. There was no reason in the world for me to feel any shame in seeing him, talking to him, running into him, or anything like that, if I think of it, you know, as intellectually. There's no reason for that. Um, But the reality was, my hand was on the door, I looked in, I saw him, and I immediately turned around. Mm -hmm. And so that... And the only reason was because of shame, is I just felt so poorly about myself, and um, I thought he thought poorly about me. And, you know, the truth of the matter is, in this particular case, why it's so memorable, 
to me is because he called me on it. He came out the door. He was paying. He was with his daughter, and he left her at the counter just to come to the door, which was only a few feet away, and it said, hey, Dan, where are you going? You saw me, and you turned around. And um, that's just one example of sort of how big that shame gets and how it it keeps me isolated. And, you know, I have to believe it's universal for other people as well. Um, the, in that story is this, I don't want to... I, I don't want my eyes to meet his eyes. Right. Because then I will see how shame-based I am. I will feel how shame-based I am. And I will feel his judgment of my use and abuse and addiction. And I don't want to do it. I want to get as fast away from this glass door as possible. You can feel it. And you can feel that almost every day of your life in different ways. Right. It, it is, um, like I said, that's just one example. Mm. Um, mm. And it's easily easy to see that. But there are a million other examples that, you know, are like you said, they're day in and they're day out. Um, and do you think the disease of addiction gave you that shame? Because the culture doesn't hold it in any kind of way that's respectful. It, it has moral judgment about it? Or do you think it's something deeper than that? I think it's deeper than that, frankly. You know, um, and the reason I say that is because when I, if anybody, if I know somebody that's, you know, been through what I've been through or done the things that I've done, I don't think of them the way that I think about myself. Mm. My criteria, my, and so I think that's where the shame comes in is I, you know, play this, um, you know, this tape, these, I have these thoughts and they're just, I would never talk to anybody else the way that I talk to myself and my self-talk when I am in that shame position. The, the question becomes in terms of community and how do we respond to this stuff? I mean, how, how does one end up with a, a piercing thought that's so judgmental and so harsh that you don't want to look at another person in the eyes? I don't. I'm not sure of the answer to that question. I, I know that in my case that those piercing thoughts are, you know, it's the only thing I can think of is it, it's the shame. And I, you know, and, you know, as we talked about earlier, my head is not a safe neighborhood for me to be in. Right. And, um, so what I need to do is is really check out my thinking mm. with somebody that I trust and that I know that cares about me, you mm. know, and that's mm. going to give me the the guidance that, um, you know, that I'm looking for because it almost seems infantile at times to, you know, I'm a grown man. I have my own thoughts and I, you know, should be able to, you know, know what's right and wrong and what's a good thought and what's a bad thought. But I can tell you, like, with, you know, with the shame and with addiction, those lines get blurred pretty quickly. And so... Um, In a way, you're sort of saying that the addiction, you know, is the medication of the shame. That if I, if I use, that I may not feel as much, 
and then it adds to the shame. Absolutely. It's, it's, and it's self-perpetuating. It just goes on and on and on. And um, it just gets deeper and deeper. You know, it doesn't go away on, it, on its own. Right, and then by yourself, you can't get out. You have to bounce it off of other people to find out wh what is real here and have to trust those people. It's almost like you have to have um, a, gr a group of compassionate witnesses. Right, absolutely. Absolutely. And it, like I said, you know, like in my case, a lot of that falls on the shoulders of my, my sponsor in AA. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, and, and, you know, I've gone to him with a lot of things that I thought were just ludicrous. Like I shouldn't even be thinking about asking this question, let alone, am I going to put a voice to it? But ultimately I do. And when I do, I'm, I'm always, you know, I'm always greeted with compassion with mm. him and mm. not with, what do you, you know, so, like I would think to myself, you idiot, why are you asking that question? Mm. You should know that. Mm. Well, you know what? In the beginning, it's a fragile environment. And I really don't know that. Yeah. And, um, you know, and I think that, Having accepted that I need to, you know, reach out, um, and I don't do it perfectly, but having accepted that I need to reach out, even when it's the most uh, minute thing, uh, or what I think is minute, um, then so be it. Then I'm going to do that. And I need to get um, comfortable with being uncomfortable. And so I'm going to ask the uncomfortable question. Now, it, it's very interesting between the story of the glass door and your friend that you don't want to look at him in the eye because he's going to be judgmental. You're going to feel the shame. And then what you're saying right now is that you have to be able to have a voice, say what's going on. Expose what's in your head. That the shame wants to keep you running away from that glass door. And the part of you that knows that needs to get better is to expose all of my crazy thinking to another human being and, and get the respect and compassion of those thoughts. And you, you really can feel the duality because that part of you doesn't want to do that. Doesn't want to do it. Doesn't want to let people know what's going on in that neighborhood, that that thinking. I mean, as you said earlier, it's bigger than my thinking. It's the exposure of my shame. If we were to take this kind of moment and just shift a little bit, because you're really kind of asking the community in a way to be compassionate witnesses to people that are struggling with addiction and, and that are struggling with shame, that are right on the edge of the criminal justice system. You're asking a lot, and at the same time, what would what would you say has been your experience as you tried to find that place that you found now, as you've moved along from treatment programs to counselors to all kinds of things? I mean, what what seems to have worked for you? 
Uh, well, you know, as you know, my history with treatment programs and sober living is um, is plentiful. I've been to you know a, a lot of those places, and you know, it, I look at those experience as experiences as um, you know. So they sort of got me to where I am today. Sure, I wished that I remained clean and sober after them. That's the goal, I think. But it's not for. I don't think that they're lost, you know, just because they didn't work. Yeah, well, they do work, but they, they because they, I didn't remain clean and sober. You right, know, I mean, right. um, maybe that was the seed that was planted, and you know, uh, the seed that I that flourished a year and a half ago, or you know. Well, I'm really kind of interested in what has been helpful along this journey because. You've been exposed to many, many different things. And, you know, one of the things that you've said today is that we need to have an army of compassionate witnesses that listen to people's shame. Right. And you, uh, you know, you've had to struggle for, you know, at least two decades now. And you've seen a lot in that time. Some some of the place uh, on the bottom of the streets, um, no place to sleep. To you know, today being sober and clean and trying your best to get through a day. Right. Um, yeah. So I I, I think that um, for me that the, the uh, having the account- accountability is important. Um, and but. More importantly than that is connection. I think that connection uh, to other people is the antidote for me to my shame and mm-hmm. therefore to my addiction. I think it goes hand in hand. Um, and so the prescription is to reach out and to, um, again, open that door instead of leaving that door closed and walking away. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. today that's, that's the, that's, that's the prescription. I love the, 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 the signpost of connection is the antidote. Just, you, you know, like it doesn't matter what the treatment program is. It doesn't matter what they're doing. Is it connecting with the people who are struggling with shame? If there's an antidote, you know, can it be that kind of compassionate witnesses? There's certain people you met along the way that were helpful, that really were helpful. And then there were other people, almost like a duality in the community. There were other people that shunned you. Not only did they, they saw you and walked the other way. Because they knew you were struggling. Can you tell me about the difference between those two? Well, I can. For me, I think that it is... um, Let me give you an example. Well, I understand... um, I used to understand better, but, you know, I get that people are frustrated with a, a... some somebody with substance abuse disorder that relapses 
and relapses a lot. It gets frustrating. I think that this disease is sometimes more difficult for the people that we love than it is for us, meaning the addict, uh, because they are they go through really hell to to uh, try to understand when. Good luck understanding, because I'm in the middle of it. And I don't. I don't understand it. Um, but by way of example, I um, when I f- was first getting sober, um, I had to see my daughter, and before she went back to school, and I needed to tell her because I got in trouble yet again, and <clears throat> um, and so I met with her, um, told her that you know, what had happened. I was honest with her. And she asked me the inevitable question, which was, Dad, what's going to be different this time? Mm. And that question in and of itself is, that's what people ask. You know, what's going to be different this time if it's the third time or 300th time, you know? And um, so I, I think what's been different for me uh, in terms of the uh, compassion and being in connection with people is those people, those few people that you that you mentioned, um, and it's more now, mm. but in the darkest of the darkest moments, you know, um, there were still people that believed in me when I didn't believe in myself. And that was a huge thing for mm. me. Mm. Um and you know, for me, that that's you know that made a huge difference for me because <clears throat> I was met with compassion and empathy, and, um, and not with a pointed finger saying, "Oh, there we go again," or "You did it again," or you know, here what's going to be different this time? You know, it's always a new leaf. Um, but that difference of holding on to those that uh, empathy and compassion uh, has been a huge difference for me. It's almost as if, you know, that if people get attached to the outcome with you and they end up getting frustrated, they end up asking the question, like, what's going to be different this time? And those people who, who just stay within themselves and stay in empathy— and stay in compassion, and choose to be the witness, and not responsible for, are the people that really helped you and to go this journey, this incredible journey, that, again, was from a very respectful position in the community to, I mean, for you to be laying on the streets and not sure where you were going to live. and Right. Right. And, and um, if, you know, to um, to have that empathy is sometimes that was the only thing that I had to hold on to. Mm. And oftentimes I remember thinking, like, I didn't get why, some, why they didn't write me off yet, mm. <laughs> you know, mm. because. Um, That's what you expected. That's what I, and that's what I had done on, to myself. Right. I was, you know, really like not in a in a good place, and 
Um, That's a beautiful statement. Not in a good place. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I might be minimizing there a little bit. (laughs) Just a tiny bit. Well, but that's what shame does, right? You're not in a good place. Right. You think, feel, and sense that you are not a person that should be alive. Right. You are not worthy. You are absolutely not worthy. You're not lovable. And that the world is not to be trusted. And so at that point, what does it matter if I go out and use again? Exactly. Right? If I don't matter. And why, why wouldn't I just keep using until I'm gone? I mean, why does it matter? And right. so you hear the voice of that all the time. And, and then when people are frustrated, they're just actually reenacting the voice. And in a way, you can say, I, I, I get why you're asking that question, like, what's going to be different? You know, because I am nothing. Right. I get asking that question because I'm asking myself the same question. That's right. Over and over and over. Over and over. And uh, my tone is a lot harsher than the one you just gave it to me. That's right. It just activates it. Right. And the only antidote, I loved how you said it, you know, connection is the antidote. When people were able to detach from my outcome and stay focused on compassion and empathy within themselves. They are the ones that helped me get off the street. They are the ones that helped move me to find a place where I could have a sober day, a sober moment, where I could look at somebody in the eye. You can feel you know, the difference between the two. The one that was frustrated with you and mad. And the person that was saying, I care about you as a human being, no matter what you do. You can feel the difference. Right. Absolutely. And it comes from the core. It's not a, it's not a head thing, you know, if that makes any sense. It's a heart thing. It's a heart thing. And, you know, just sort of, I think, like, shame is, you know, starts in the body. Um, it's a hard thing. It, start, it starts, I don't know where, but somewhere not in my head. And somehow that, that people get beyond your head and your thinking and just see you, believe in you, say you matter, then that seems to get beyond the head thing. Right. Right. And sometimes in the beginning, you know, they're seeing something in me that I don't see in myself. So if I can get a glimpse of what they're seeing, and it seems to happen, like I don't know how it happens, but it happens. Um, you know, what a blessing that is, really, because it's like, it's the key. It's, you know, and everybody, because when you're, when I'm in the middle of it, you know, I'm doing things that I don't want to be doing. I'm doing things that are, that. You said that so beautifully, you know, like when you're in it, when you're in that shame, when you're sitting there, you're doing things that are hurtful to other people, hurtful to yourself. It doesn't matter. Because you don't matter. And that's the 
time where you can feel like that people give up on you. They throw you in a cell. They do whatever they have to do to you to kind of say you're bad. You're not good. And it gets worse and worse and worse. And somewhere along the line, these people show up, like a blessing, you call them. They, they, don't, they don't look at you that way. They don't see the man is just doing the worst he can do to demonstrate the parts of him that feel ashamed. Can you tell me more about what it's like to look across from somebody who's got that kind of connection to you? Um, I can, it, you know, it's, um, it's an opportunity to be, um, to be myself. It's an opportunity to not lie. Um, one of the things that I think that is, um, in my case, and I think it's, uh, other addicts, an alcoholic's case is especially when it comes to our addiction is you know we don't tell the truth and so um and it's not just about in my case you know i don't need to be using to feel like i have to lie about it mm. you know and so um lies are um self-generating and one becomes two and two becomes four and before you know it, you know, you're, you're lying when to tell the truth is more beneficial. But you're, you're th your view is warped, your thinking is warped, and so it becomes, um, it makes sense in the moment. So, uh, but having, sitting across from somebody who sees that, um, you know, and when you're greeted with empathy and you know you're going to be greeted with empathy, then um, it's an opportunity to show up. When, in, when I'm in the middle of my addiction, I don't show up. Mm. I want to. Nobody wants to more than I do, especially for your, my children. Mm. But, you know, I didn't show up for them. You know, and people that are important to me and that I love and whom love me just couldn't do it. Mm. Not because I didn't want to, right. but could not do it. And so... Um, That's the part that is hard for people to really understand, that you love, loved and still love your children beyond imagination, just beyond your thoughts. It, and there were times where you just couldn't show up, but you wouldn't tell them the truth, that you would avoid them. You wouldn't be present. And there's something deeper, something bigger. It's not like you, you could just love them at that moment, that the shame that was internalized was so powerful that it got back to the whisper of, you don't matter. Daniel, you don't matter. Right. You might as well lie. Correct. And not show up. Yeah. And not show up, and that seemed to be the, be the smart thing to do right. at the time. And there was something unique about people who l looked at you and said, I, I understand. I get it. I get the shame. I get the, 
that you have to lie just to try to avoid the shame, you know, and that people look at you without judgment and, and get that the way you are is you are doing the best that you can with the resources you have at the moment. Right. And sometimes that doesn't, you know, that best is not, um, doesn't measure up to other people's. Right. And that's where the judgment starts. Right. And that's where the moral discord starts around addiction or substance use disorder. or. And when that moral discord starts, then we start losing people. That's where death comes. That's where we lose people. Right. To this disease in rapid numbers is because there's a, there's a moral discord, there's a judgment that you could feel. And, you know, one of the purposes of this conversation as we wrap it up is to give people that opportunity to choose. You can be frustrated or judgmental or you can choose to be a compassionate witness. But your, your clearest message in this whole thing was connection is the antidote. Right. And in that, too, I think that to be empathetic, it is a decision. And it's not always an easy one in the face of mm -hmm. somebody who's standing in front of you, mm -hmm. not being up front with you. Okay. And you know it. And they probably know it, but maybe they don't because they're so embedded in the, in the lie. Mm -hmm. um, but again, they're at the moment... There's, there's truth in that lie, if you will, yeah. for them. And so, um, to to say you know, you know, I don't know that it works to say, oh, you're not you're not being honest with me at the moment. You know, I, I don't that know where that gets you. <laughs> get you another opportunity for them to lie to you. Oh no, I'm being I'm being honest right now. Sure. You know, so so the confrontation doesn't quite work. It is, it, it is, again, not asking the person to change, but to stay focused inside yourself. I love, the, I love the story about, you know, often it said detach with love. You know, and people don't understand what that is, but the love is the empathy and connection that you talked about. Right. And, the, and that, whether they lie to you or... Um, and, you know, actually steal from you. That doesn't mean we don't have some accountability for it, but it's not about you. It's about that shame, that beautiful story you told about standing there at the glass door. I can't look at him because I know he'll, he'll judge me. But he doesn't really know is I'm judging myself much more harshly than he ever will. Right. And, you know, just, just when it comes to that judgment, self-judgment, I am 99.9% .9 of the time wrong <laughs> within that. <laughs> you know, like my thinking, like I don't know what I'm thinking half of the time, let alone to... Think I know what you're thinking, and then bring it back to me. That's just like, 
it just doesn't make any sense, you know, intellectually. But and just to go back to that example of being at the door of my friend Dan, you know, I think it took courage for him. Yes. To to me, that's empathy. Yes. Like that's like the the a beautiful mm-hmm. picture of empathy because he didn't have to, you know, come after me. No. I I'm not sure I would have. Right. You know. Well, and he knew your story. And he knew exactly why. You were turning around. He didn't mince words. It was beautiful. And it was like, that to me was like, that was a huge thing in my life. You know, that happened 10 years ago and it's still like it happened yesterday. And uh, I don't know if I ever thanked him for that, but I need to. Well, I hope you do. I will do that. I just wanted to end this. uh, Both of us um, has lost a pioneer in the recovery process. Uh, in this community over the last few days yes, um, because of shame. And uh, I, I really want to dedicate this conversation to, to, Jess, to Jesse uh, and because he tried to ask people to have dignified conversations with everyone, no matter what they were struggling with. And uh, I'm appreciative that you're teaching during this conversation to everybody about what that looks like, what that feels like. When somebody goes after somebody and says, hey, I missed you. Don't walk away. The bravery of that. Yes, absolutely. And, and you know, my thoughts and prayers are go out to Jesse's mom and his family. And um, and I think that, you know, we hear of people, you know, relapsing. And then people with such integrity like Jesse, um, you know, he lost his life to the disease. And I think that it's, um, you know, the addiction was the end result. But I think what became, what came before that is a shame. And it's a powerful, powerful thing. Well, and again, your life is parallel to him, that both of you were, you know, very respectful, very important parts of the community. And the shame took you out. In his case, he died and I'm just fortunate that I get to sit across from you and watch you do the other choice, just to stay sober and clean and just take the next right step. So thank you for today. Thank you for having me. Right. So people, I just wanted to say to you that these um, podcasts are available to you in several different settings. And one of the beautiful things about this conversation with Daniel and and others that we've had is that we now have... uh, a sponsorship of the Rebel Fund by Coffee by Design to support us and are touched and honored and uh, in tears that a corporation in this community would support this endeavor to say the story and say it beautifully well from the mouths of people who struggle and the issues of our community. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Conversations in Compassion with Stephen Andrew. Conversations in Compassion is a production of Dignity, Maine. And if you'd like to learn more about that program or this podcast, you can visit DignityMaine.com. You can subscribe to this podcast anywhere you get your podcasts, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, etc. And you can follow us on Facebook at Facebook.com forward slash DignityMaine, all one word. We would absolutely love your feedback on this program, so if you have any, please send it to heti at gwi.net and let us know your thoughts. 
Until next time, thanks again for listening, and take care.